Welcome to Horror Makes Us Happy, the podcast where we ask the question, what is it about horror that makes us happy? Your hosts are Steve Becker and myself, Chris Whitman, and you can find out more about us at our website, horrormakesushappy.com. Before we get started, this is the trigger warning. Uh, this is a horror podcast, so we will be talking about horror stuff and things of the dark nature, which will include, um, you know, which could potentially could include, could, could yes. potentially include, not will, definitely not going to be talking about, you know, baby killing and rape. But those Not things could well. be included. Mm-hmm. We, we talk about some dark stuff on this show, so this is, this is the warning for that. If that's not your cup of tea, maybe take a second and think about it and come back. Or um, if that is your cup of tea, enjoy the show. We talk about dark stuff here. Welcome. Welcome. There are three H's in that. Welcome. Mm. <laughs> uh, in the near future, we will be interviewing director Eduardo Sanchez. Also president of Rumor website, Rodrigo Godinho. Staff writer for Dread Central, Tyler Dupay, as well as a Twitch streamer by the name of Harry Horror. But today we have the pleasure of the company of Mr. Ash Hamilton, creator of horror website, The Horror Fix. Welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you. Before we get uh, into the meat of the interview, uh, do you want to tell us what you're currently working on? Yeah. And um, depending on, you know, when this drops, uh, November 1st, uh, our film Holes in the Sky, the Sean Miller story will hit Amazon and Vudu exclusively uh, with uh, more TV, VOD releases and DVD and Blu-ray on December 6th. Nice. Uh, this might drop sometime in December. So uh, they can, whoever does end up listening to this could definitely check all of those things out. That's cool. Perfect. Actually, you know what? We did forget part of the announcements. Uh, we are you know, somewhat recently joining twitch and discord we do uh, listen parties of the podcast on discord every sunday so come check that out if you'd like there are links to that on our website uh some of the other stats that we've gotten from uh, spotify show that there are some drop-offs in listeners around the 40 minute mark which is understandable because you know if you're commuting most commutes aren't you know more than an hour but uh often the end of the episodes are the best part so if you do need to drop off we strongly recommend that you come back and check out the the ending all right, so I don't know how much we talked about this, Ash, but basically the the general concept for what we do is we talk about your experiences with horror from childhood through teenage years and adulthood, and try to you know piece together what it is that you love about horror. So, mm-hmm. starting with childhood, what are some of your earliest memories of scary things? Well, I'm I'm a bit of an older guy, not like uh, older in the sense of like you know 60s or 70s, but I'm I'm in my 40s, so I'm one of these. Uh, these guys that seen the the generational push from three and four channels on TV to mm-hmm. um, cable to you know then internet. So a lot of my earliest memories were were very event centric. You know, we would try to stay up till midnight for midnight movies on mm-hmm. you know like the local big networks and you know CBS and, and NBC and and even stuff that would come like on PBS. So my mother was a, a big fan of horror films. She still is actually. And oh, cool. she would just, you know, be like, Oh, Hey, there's a you know, drag of the Prince of darkness is on at midnight. So <laughs> I know you're only eight. <laughs> However, you know, since your father works third shift, you're like my only friend and we are going <laughs> to watch Dracula Prince of darkness together. That is awesome. And slightly wholesome in a way, you know, like, you know, I only, I know you're only eight, but I want to watch this show and you're cool enough. Right. Let's watch this show. Right. Yeah. 
yeah, we'll get into the night terrors and all the later. <laughs> <laughs> These things happen. Well, she she did it to herself. <laughs> Right, it's like, well, so, and you, but, you know, three o'clock, where she's like, "Why are you still in here?" And I'm like, "Well, I just keep peeing." So <laughs> <laughs> she was, but like, very liberal in in the sense of like, you know, she, I, I guess, probably at least I hope so. Anyways, you know, sort of watched me during the film and realized it was something that I could handle and that I was enjoying it. And I think that as a kid, I enjoyed this this ritual that seemed to be sort of you know, reserved for adults. And yet mm-hmm. I was being made part of it. So the idea of staying up and popcorn and sort of the, the ritual of the midnight movie became something that I was just sort of, you know, it just intrinsically part of who I was. And, and as I got older, I think I was always trying to sort of recapture that feeling of, wow, this is great. It's communal. You know, I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. So you kind of got to, uh, just a, an early automatic introduction into horror and said, I don't know if this is a bad analogy or metaphor for it, but like a chase the dragon effect ever after. Cause like you, you had that first initial excitement of it. And then after that, it's just like, well, I always want more. Yeah. And I, you know, I think a lot of horror fans do that or just genre fans in general. I think this also applies to probably sci-fi and some other, you know, like big, you know, uh, again, like event centric sort of movies where, you realize, you know, that the exorcist had a huge impact on you. Remember the way you felt when you watched it. And then you've got that baseline comparison to everything that comes afterwards, where this made me feel this way. And therefore this is where I categorize this movie and that movie. And you're always sort of looking for that other movie that sort of revitalizes, you know, and, and renews your interest in horror. And, and luckily, you know, horror is sort of that redheaded stepchild still of cinema where people are doing new things constantly. So it's sort of easy to have that interest renewed because we see so many films come out that are sort of experimental in that nature. I think also the, uh, you know, the emotional attachment of being able to experience this as a kid, like you say, hanging out with your mom and doing not necessarily something that you shouldn't be doing, but like you said, being involved in something that is in a, in a way sort of special and that, you know, being able to stay up till midnight to watch a movie is not something that most eight year olds get to do. No, it, it was a, a huge bonding experience that lasted even into adulthood. Uh, I I moved away and I was on the East coast for a number of years, about 12 years, and then eventually moved back to the Midwest. And and when I did, my mother and I started sort of that ritual again, where I would come over and, and, and I don't know if this is the best example, but we would watch like human centipede and order like lava cakes from Papa John's. <laughs> that is that is a good combination there is nothing wrong with that combination at all nope it was so good and and the result of oh so much ptsd yeah yeah i can see no way no way in which this carefully laid plan can ever go wrong Cho- chocolate has a new connotation <laughs> so rich uh <laughs> So, all right, what else? Uh, Dracula, Prince of Darkness, any other big standouts in terms of media? Um, yeah, it, a lot of the Hammer stuff. I mean, I think that this mm-hmm. was stuff that a, a lot of these networks had access to. Um, right. You know, they hadn't experienced any real renewal and enthusiasm for those movies because there wasn't a home video market yet. So I think back then, these were movies that sort of just sat there. Um, you know, there, there wasn't any real way to, you know, review them. So they didn't have an idea 
of probably just how much these movies meant to people. It's stuff they could get cheap. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we watched, you know, the consonant movie. Um, <laughs> the consonant movie? It's just all S's. It's, 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 it's the consonant oh. movie. It should be subtitled I, that, I think. And um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, some made for TV movies that they would replay. I remember Trilogy of Terror with Karen Black having a profound effect on me as a kid. Mm-hmm. It, it terrified me, absolutely like terrified me to the core. And I had an older sister who did horrible, horrible things after I watched that movie to ensure that that terror was instilled in, in there and was never leaving. As older sisters do, you know, it's kind right. of their job. Oh yeah. Yeah. She was very good. It just, and we're talking about like, you know, bad things that happen when you're a kid, but the amount of like Vesuvius, like urinating at the stuff that she would do to me mm-hmm. while I was trying not to think of the little hatchet man, the little Zuni fetish doll from uh Mm-hmm. It's pretty bad. Did she make like a doll and stick it in your bed or something? My my mother had all of these crazy wigs. She was a beautician at one point in time. Okay, and she had one that was just you know this ratty sort of huge black wig. So I'm I'm trying to sleep and my my sister's in my room and she's got like a butter knife <laughs> and she's tapping on the floor with the butter knife. She's got this huge wig on and she's making that Zuni fetish like ak, 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 Zuni fetish sound. Yeah, this this started a lot of estrangement later on with my sister and I. But okay, yeah. So far, it sounds like you got a, like a fifty fifty mix of positive reinforcement and negative reinforcement at a young age. So this this is going to be good. So yeah, a, a nice roller coaster ride. <laughs> Just yeah, ensure some heavy heavy emotional trauma growing up. But uh, <laughs> again, as sisters are wont to do, this this is the way. Yes. It, yeah, not to say that I didn't get her back, but um, you know that was also a constant too. Was this volley? Of horrible things that we sort of did to each other growing up. Mm-hmm. Right. Again, siblings. Yep. Yes, yes. But that was one of the worst. Was uh, because she had seen, <laughs> you know, the look on my face as that little, you know, doll was trying to, to kill Karen Black, and, and I think, you know, she had to have just been smiling this enormous, like, shit-eating grin, like there it there is. <laughs> the wheels are turning, <laughs> like, yes. <laughs> oh, I know what I'm going to do to him <laughs> after I'm gaining my foothold. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, uh, across the room. Good, good stuff. But yeah, those those two movies were were great. You know, I I mean, like, uh, don't be afraid of the dark. Uh, gargoyles. I, I mean, it, it's strange to think of two movies back then as sort of being impactful because you know there was a lot of limitations on what they could do. But man, we got really good TV movies back in the day. I I grew up in a town of about four hundred people. The nearest oh. town was about nine miles away, so we were surrounded by nothing but woods and cornfield. So I didn't have the kind of exposure that I really wanted to, to movies and, and, and film and sort of the behind the scenes stuff. They would once a week drive me into the, the nearest metropolitan area. My, I say metropolitan area, I'm being very loose with that term because it was yes. probably right. 38,000 people, but it was a place that had a couple bookstores, a few places where we could get magazines. So I would always go and try to pick up like old copies of famous monsters of Filmland, try to get like the newest issue of Fangoria and anything that was available to me. So I think when I got really into this idea of, I, I, I want to continually watch this stuff and I'm interested in this stuff, then it was sort of promoted that I learn about it, like learn how it's done. And I, and I just consumed 
anything I could get my hands on, we would go to used bookstores and I would just go through stacks of magazines. So even at that age, you were already starting to look sort of, you know, pull the curtain back and look behind the scenes. Yeah. Yeah. There was a, a magic store that was, again, everything was at least like 40 minutes away. Like no matter what you wanted to do, there was a drive associated with it, you know? Mm-hmm. So there was a magic store that was about uh, 40 to maybe 50 minutes away from me. And I got to know the, even as a kid, I got to know the owner fairly well. And they also had a lot of like Ben Nye sort of makeup, um, you know, like derma wax. They had like collodion and stuff to make scars. They had liquid latex. So he was sort of showing me some of these like tricks. And um, even like first and second grade, I'm walking around going, look, I slipped my wrist. My teachers were like, ah, here we go. (laughs) (laughs) Perfectly normal behavior for for a child of that age. I'm sure if there was like school shootings back then and the, the amount that there is now, there would have been a huge red flag on my file. Pretending you had gunshot wounds instead of uh, slitting your wrists. Uh, yeah. yeah. Been like, this is the kid. This is the kid we got. I've been shot. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. This, this is the kid that's going to wind up bringing a femur to school as a king. So. <laughs> like a real femur? <laughs> I'm sure probably. I mean, I <laughs> my, my hometown was very, very religious too. I mean, this is, this is the Midwest. Like for a town of 400 people, I think we had five, six churches. You know, which is sort of wow. crazy to think of that that size of population having that many options. Mm-hmm. Well, I, yeah, but at the same time, there'd be roughly a hundred people per church, and for uh, a population that small, I can't imagine you having very large buildings. You know, so a hundred people in a, a church is of a decent size for that population, I guess. My my memory serves me that they were all like in mud adobes, but I'm sure they were much. Think of everything being sort of smaller as I grow up. But yeah, it was a very, very small town, very focused on small town values and ideals. And again, that tended to also lean towards religion. And some of that religion was very, there was a lot of like zealots. And I guess that's a diplomatic way to put it. People who really, really love their religion. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, Shoot. It's escaping me now. There's another word for that. Devout. Yeah. Yes, actually, yeah. You, when you made the joke about the uh, the femur cane, my first thought was, you know, in a, a population of four hundred, you've obviously got farmers and hunters around you, so you know it doesn't necessarily have to be a humor human femur. I'm sure yeah. you probably had access to those if you wanted <laughs> not human, but uh, you know, we did my cow, deer, whatever. Oh yeah, yeah. My my biological father was a very avid hunter, and I remember like I was probably maybe ten at that point, and um, I was I was probably subjected to a lot more like gore and, and viscera in that sense when it came to like animals with hunting because he would not only shoe be sort of clean and dress and we would have mm-hmm. venison like we, we we would eat the things that he would kill mm-hmm. and you know there was one instance where I said you know what do you do with some of these leftover parts <laughs> and he was like oh, I, I don't know where you're going with this but uh, usually you know they're discarded and I said how difficult is it to get like a a deer brain. <laughs> I just want to make a brain in a jar. And how difficult is it to dismember a body into several pieces? Just asking, asking for a friend, you know, (laughs) (laughs) know, I got a little notebook with me, you know, (laughs) Uh uh go on. (laughs) 
<laughs> little members only jacket on. I wasn't a serial killer in training at all, but um, no. it, yeah, I think that was the first time that, you know, my, my father was, was like, okay, you know, maybe, maybe Ash is a little bit different. Maybe we're, we're, we're going to find things for him to do. That doesn't include like that don't involve animals <laughs> <laughs> being, being around animals. Yeah. yeah. Well, let me jump down and ask some other questions. So I'm guessing that you participated in Halloween. Oh yeah. 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 It was, was hugely into Halloween and, and, you know, but back then we didn't have a, a name for like making your own costumes. You know, it was just like, you know, you were, you were just, you know, an overachiever. It wasn't like cosplay or anything, you know, but, right. but I also had the classic, you know, plastic masks that sort of tried to disfigure you throughout the evening by pushing all of your mm-hmm. features into like a plastic nose. And then you couldn't breathe. Yes, yes. You were sweaty. The Vancouver oh. masks. That is uh that is not an uncommon topic on this show. <laughs> Everyone remembers those. <laughs> yeah. Did you have a favorite costume? Yeah, I had a, I had a Dracula one. Like I, that was, that was one of those sets that had like the, you know, it was just a vinyl shirt because if the mask wasn't uncomfortable enough, then we're going to make the rest of the clothing out of like, (laughs) we make cars out of. Right. So it was like this horrible, like vinyl shirt that you could barely move in, but you know, it said Dracula on it wasn't even really like, you you know, like it wasn't like a suit. No, it wasn't even like a vest with with a medallion. It was like, you know, for. For anyone who didn't know that was Dracula, we're going to put, you know, like the Camaro sticker <laughs> on your Camaro. Yeah. My favorites are the ones that have like the, the shitty plastic mask. And then they also have a picture of the shitty plastic mask on the T-shirt. Like in case you didn't know I was Chewbacca, there's also Chewbacca on my chest because Chewbacca right. wears a picture of himself on his chest. You know? Well, I think that's because they understood how many people were taking the masks off. <laughs> <laughs> right. They're like, all right, kids are going to fucking peel this thing off in like 30 minutes. Put put a picture on the shirt, too. I, right. That might have also been like the age of rampant glaucoma or something. Like we have to <laughs> represent everything multiple times and just drive it home. <laughs> right. Least favorite costume. Oh, least favorite. Co- I, I was obsessed for a brief period of time with ninjas. Okay. I thought if you got the ninja costume, then, you know, you could be a ninja hmm? and years of, you know, crucial training. So I, I got like the ninja costume and I was, horribly dismayed that first of all everyone could see me i was <laughs> loud and clumsy as always as a kid and i'm like this damn thing doesn't work at all <laughs> <laughs> yes you so you thought it was the costume that was the thing that made made the difference oh i thought oh, yeah. for sure i'd have like shurikens throwing stars like i would become a lethal assassin at you know 12 <laughs> with my ninja costume and instead i just almost passed out from the the, the sheer weight of it <laughs> To be fair, I'm sure that the people who were trying to sell you the costume uh, did not disabuse you of that notion. I, I yeah. bought it from a ninja magazine. The magazine was actually called Ninja. So hmm? I thought I had all of this worked out. Ninja magazine, <laughs> ninja costume. Yeah. It, it was like a hall of mirrors. Like every you had the inside source. Yep. Every way I looked, it was ninja, ninja, ninja. And then, you know, you get the costume and it takes forever to put on because it was sort of like it you know, I guess the equivalent of a, of a real like gi, you know, like a martial arts uniform and had everything with it. And like you had to wrap part of it. It was almost like some weird 
religious ritual, you know, where you had to, this had to fold over here because that's the ninja way. So it took super long to get it on, which I think my parents also hated because they're like, do you just want to go straggling then? And I'm like, no. <laughs> so yeah, probably most hated costume for, for every reason <laughs> across the board. Like it checked every box of being horribly, horribly uncomfortable. <laughs> okay. That's, that's <laughs> new. We haven't heard that one before. Was there ever a time when you were actually terrified of something in real life when you were a kid? Yeah. You know, I, I think that I, I wasn't really good around I, other kids. Like I just couldn't connect. I had a hard time connecting was when I was a kid. And I think it was also from being in a very small rural town. Um, I wasn't like hugely into sports after a certain time. Like when I was mm. very young, I did, you know, T-ball and, 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 and a lot of stuff that, that kids did. And I'm sure I had a good time doing it. Like I have good memories of that, but I think when sports transitioned out of being fun and being hyper competitive, like when right. adults started to engaging, it started to engage it more. And, you know, you saw a, adults sort of living vicariously through their mm-hmm. kids. Like that whole situation, I just couldn't understand. I couldn't grasp why we weren't having fun anymore. So I sort of lost a lot of connections with my peers because they were just growing up in a very different way than I did. And I think I also mentally matured a lot later. Like I was still very concerned with like uh, uh, toys and I collected masks and uh, just the horror movie thing didn't leave. It didn't evolve, you know, into anything different. The interest stayed there. And I think that some of my friends, especially moving into like junior high, found it juvenile, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. that I was still so heavily invested in all of the stuff. And and they saw themselves going through changes and they're like, why isn't, you know, this other kid changing? Like, he's just the same as he was, you know, two years ago or three years ago. That's not to say that I didn't move into the area of, you know, like seeing girls and, and seeing them differently like that definitely happened. So there was that maturity, you know, which, but also being like heavily into horror films didn't help in that area at all. Not at that age. So I was, I was just terrified of like other kids. Like I just didn't get it. I, and you know, kids are sometimes venomous, man. They're cruel. And if they don't understand you, Oh man, you know, you better either learn to be funny, which I tried Mm -hmm. really hard at it being for years and years. It's a good social defense mechanism. It is. It is. It's a lot better than just curling into the fetal position and then, you know, <laughs> or something. right. It's, a, it's better than the alternative. <laughs> yeah. No, I can definitely relate to that one. That's, um, that's just like a, a visceral fear that I, I think everyone has just in different varying degrees. Some people, it's not a big deal. Some people, it's a huge deal, but social acceptance of others at a young age, you just, Oh my God, everyone's going to hate me if I don't fall in line and, and have the same interests as them. Yeah, it's it's a, a really weird environment, and you know I keep coming back to this idea of, of small towns. I'm not really blaming small towns per se because I think that there are there's a lot right. of value in, in living in a small town. I, I mm-hmm. think it's a, a way to grow up that sort of a, a, allows you to be a kid a little bit longer, and, and I think that that is a great thing. But I, I think that also, especially you know, 30 years ago, it was just a completely sort of different place and and if you're a a kid that doesn't really fit in you for example you read a lot you know that was sort of an escape for me 
when I was at school, you know, I wasn't able to take horror movies with me, but I was able to take books and magazines. So mm-hmm. I sort of took that interest and said, okay, you don't have a TV in front of me, but I can at least escape into this book, which talks about vampires or talks about Godzilla or whatever. And kids seeing me read and, and, and not just read because I had to, but read because I genu- you know, genuinely wanted to like that, did not, that did not help my cause either. <laughs> right. You nerd, nerd. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and the big thing too in the, in the Midwest is you know if if you're not like throwing rocks at other people or drinking really watered down beer when you're like 11, then you're gay. That was a big thing. It was always to throw the the homosexual thing out. Like that was the you know at that point in time, I think kids thought that that was the biggest insult. So that happened oh, yeah. quite a bit. If you read too much, you were definitely gay. Mm-hmm. And well, I mean. For historical context, because uh, Chris and I are about the same age as you are, uh, at least in my recollection, you know, when you're that young, you don't even really understand sexuality. And so, right. You're like throwing that insult out there. It didn't mean the same thing because. No, no, it was more like uh, gay wasn't homosexual in a sexual content. It was more it was like just, just stupid shunned or stupid or yeah, just not yeah. accepted. Yeah. Right. Well, I mean, we talk around the word retarded a lot too. I mean, we, thinking back That's now, yeah. with the language that we used to use back then is like, oh, yeah, wow. right? Like we so were just horrible. terrible people. It's so bad. It's so absolutely horrible. Yeah, that it was like, like we had to go like to somebody was talking about uh, when they would play a, a game. I was watching some video the other day, and they were talking about a a game. And they they were like, you know, trying to beat around the bush of the title of it. It's like, yeah, you know, it was like so, whoever got the ball would be tackled. And I'm just thinking, smear the queer. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, that was a game that we played as children. Yeah. Right. We should have told you right then that there's definitely a connection between organized sports and, and wanting mm. to pile upon someone that you ultimately thought was also gay. Right. Uh, yep. it's, a, it's a weird <laughs> game. It's like, oh, look at that person. We absolutely hate them for everything they are. But I think we should probably go ahead and get on top of them for it. something something wrestling team (laughs) 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 yeah yeah there was a huge need to be in a horrible sweaty grotesque knot with a bunch of spandex on but yeah (laughs) well different people have different needs yes for some people it uh it it means more than others uh hmm do you feel that any of these, uh, you know, dreams or real life uh, situations triggered or instilled any fears that uh, have stuck with you through life, or was it just like temp- temporary and then you moved on? Uh, I I think that as I got older, there I reached an age where I I purposefully tried to be very bold because I didn't think I had that ability as a child. I stepped back an awful lot and looked at conversations and then tried to find a way to enter that conversation. But, you know, with my interest and the things that I was knowledgeable of, there was never really a a point where I could, you know, I just wasn't, I didn't have the capacity to be involved in stuff like that. So I think as I got older, I pushed myself constantly to be a, a bolder person and enter conversations and sort of make those conversations about stuff that I wanted to talk about. And, you know, and sometimes that worked and sometimes it didn't, but what it did allow me to do was it allowed me to, to recognize 
that first of all, there was no way I was going to change. It just wasn't going to happen. Like the, you know, my interest stuff that I loved, it, it was, it ran too deep. I couldn't see it not being in my life. I think I would have been miserable. So my alternative was, is, was sharing that passion and mm-hmm. like showing people, look, this is how important this is to me. So I did that a lot. Like in, in college, I became a lot more verbose than when I was a kid and had, I wouldn't say a lot more good friends, but I had a, a ton of acquaintances due to that, you know, people that I knew on a first name basis that I think probably genuinely, you know, did like me, but I still found it difficult to have that, that deep connection where you call people like best friend. And I think by turning the tables, when I got older, I ended up seeing people as, you know, just, Oh, they're just not into this. Like I, I looked at things a little bit differently. I think I got rid of some of that earlier resentment and feeling outcasted and ended up saying, nope, this is, this is my playing field. You know, if people want to come in, it, that's, that's great. And, you know, I love the interaction, but if I don't get engaged like that, I'm, I'm fine with it because people know who I am. Like I really put myself out there. So I think mm. having, you know, the idea of being terrified, you know, kids get terrified in different ways, but having a terror that was a social terror, like it just became a path. It was a journey for me. Like, how do I get away from that as much as possible? And, and sort of build myself as, as a personality that people can be around regardless of our differences. I hope that doesn't sound too cliche. <laughs> no, I, I had a similar experience, not relating to any particular uh, fear or love of mine, but in general, I was also uh, not the best socially uh, adapted kid. I moved around a lot when I was a kid, and um, so I didn't didn't have a lot of that experience and skill. And then in my early 20s, early to mid 20s, I got an opportunity. Um, I had worked in restaurants on and off from my I think 15, 16 years old. Um, and then in my mid 20s, I had an opportunity where some friends worked at a country club and they said that they needed people and they would teach me how to be a bartender. Mm. So I jumped at that because it's always better to be paid to do something that you want to train in because you're doing it potentially up to 40 hours a week instead of the four hours on a weekend that you might be doing it uh, on your own time. Oh yeah. Uh, And so I jumped at that opportunity because I knew that it was going to put me in front of people and I was going to be forced to learn to interact with people. Uh, And it was either going to, you know, figure it out or fail one of the two. But, uh, you know, I had that challenge. I I wanted to challenge myself uh, in that area. And it sounds like you kind of did something similar. Although, like you said, it was more, you involved your interests more than, than I did for me at the bartending thing. It wasn't any about any particular topic. It was just the, the interaction itself. If that makes sense. I I think music helped me a, a lot too. I ended up, you know, playing guitar those two there's a lot of cross-pollination you know between a lot of different creative agencies you know whether it's film and and music there's a lot of people that sort of you know oh you know straddle that line between the the two or you know however many and i think i started to to also do that as well like playing out in public and 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 being in bands so i think it was a a little bit of a multi-pronged approach but no I, i see exactly what you're saying too uh, I'm guessing the playing in bands and, and that stuff came in more in the teenage years than the childhood. Yeah. Yeah. I ended up taking guitar lessons 
and um, we would do exercises where we would you know, play and sing at the same time. And the guy that was teaching me said, hey, you, you've actually got a pretty good voice. And there are this group of guys that are you know, trying to form a band. They need a singer. And at the time, I was only like 15. And these guys were in their early 20s. And I had my parents drive me to their band practice. And uh, you know, we had an audition. And, and they were like, no, we really you know, want you in the band. And, and I was playing bars and stuff like when i was 16 and my sisters like friends were seeing me and they're like hey this is bizarre because we know you're <laughs> and you're out of this bar playing um but that helped a lot I, because you know you, as, as a kid like there's always an age group that ultimately intimidates you you know when you're in grade school it's junior high and junior high it's high school and then high school it's college there's always a, a group that you're just not for sure if you're going to fit in or not and i think playing out from people who are in their twenties and then having conversations with them afterwards, where I didn't always divulge how old I was, mind you. Mm, like that was course. the first thing that I said where they're like, Hey man, great set. And I'm like, I'm 16. <laughs> like, <laughs> cool. Please. Right. Exactly. Oh, good. Good for you. Keep, keep rocking. You know, <laughs> I'm ultimately, but yeah, that, that sort of helped too, you know? Um, because at that point I was like, no, I think I'm going to be okay for the long haul. Mm-hmm get through it yeah at least as, as good as we could you know then but you're always miserable in some context or another it's the human condition <laughs> true yes I, th- I think that's a midwest thing <laughs> we do love our misery can never let yourself get too happy no no you know because the crop will always <laughs> fail one year yeah, yeah this is true going back to childhood for a minute so was there ever a time in your childhood when you felt completely calm or safe or happy like blissful Either getting into that point of, of, uh, cause I used to just, and I, I would, I would consume any book that I was given. There were just those moments where you, you get into sort of that, that weird hypnosis where like time and space just suddenly are no longer there. You're not tethered by anything. And I don't know if I've ever been able to get back there the way I was able to do that, you know, as a kid. Um, mm-hmm. I think as you get older, you, you still have this, you know, strange lifeline of problems and, and worries and stuff you have to do tomorrow and stuff that didn't get done today that is so persistent and so invasive that you can only sort of get to that point, but you're never completely there. But I think as a kid, um, you know, reading at anything from, you know, S- Stephen King to, um, you know, Orson Scott Card, and then I would try to get a hold of like old Twilight Zone teleplays. And I remember reading a lot of Richard Matheson, anything I could, of Matheson I could get a hold of. And there were just times where I was completely taken away. I was in that world. I was in that universe. And like that to me, that ultimate escapism. Wow. I wish I could get back to that. You know, that was just right. crazy the way I was able to do that when I was a kid. Uh, let's jump back and also talk about uh, family here for a minute. Cause we didn't touch on that too much. You mentioned that your mom was all, was a horror fan and your sister it wasn't clear whether or not she was a horror fan, but at least like messing with you. She was a terrorizing oh, brother fan. <laughs> yes. Huge fan. Yeah. Uh, uh, let's, hmm? you're going to say something. Well, she was very popular and, and, and in junior high and high school, she had a ton of friends and she was, any kind of like, you know, extracurricular thing that was going on, any social organization in school she was a part of. So she was a cheerleader. She was, you know, on all these committees. So very different from me, 
you know, I'm, I'm walking down the hall and I've got, you know, hair in my face and I've got a little like Iron Maiden power slave shirt on and ripped up jeans and converse and, you know, and my sister's like, there's, there's my brother. <laughs> and that was sort of that, that dynamic. Like she, she just didn't understand me like at all. And I, I guess I was, you know, just this, this weird little, little kid that happened to live in the same house as her. And I think my, my father sort of had the same feelings <laughs> as that, sadly. So let's jump into the teenage years. You, um, you mentioned playing in this band, but, uh, what other, well, let me ask a different question. So for some of our guests, uh, horror is a mainstay that stays with them throughout their entire lives. Other guests, it's been this thing where it was big in their childhood. They kind of moved away from it in their teens and they came back to it as an adult. Was this something that stuck with you or do you feel like you moved away and came back to it? I think it was always there. It was always this, uh, you know, persistent hobby and pastime. And I think when you get to be a teenager, specifically when you get your license and, and here in Illinois, you're 16. So once you turn 16 here, it just felt like your entire life opened up. Mm. You know, I wasn't chained to this geography of a town of X amount of people. I could now drive. I could drive myself to my band practice. Whenever a new movie would hit, it wasn't about asking my parents. It was about just going to it. Mm-hmm. Mm. They have that, that level of freedom. It was, it was huge. Um, I think I actually learned to embrace things even more in my teenage years because I wasn't dependent on anyone else to say, okay, Tuesdays when we do this, Thursdays when we do this. And then you sort of bide your time in between these days, you know, as soon as I turned 16, it was like, I'm going to go to the comic book store today. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. You know, even not having a lot of money, it was this ability to go places and immerse yourself on a more regular basis than you did when you were a kid. So I was going to see a lot of movies, even if it was by myself. If it was something where Friday night I couldn't, you know, get a buddy to go, I'm still going. You know, I had that ability now. So I think you know, those interests even more so sort of cemented themselves because I was also meeting people. I was meeting people who had similar interests because I was able to go to bigger centers of commerce, bigger stores, clubs more regularly because I had a license. Right. Do you remember any particular media that stood out to you in your teens? I think I, I attached myself. I was, I was big, probably more into gore back then because it was like we would try to find the craziest stuff you know a lot of like you know video nasties from the 80s so you would rent faces of death you would try to find you know cannibal ferox you would try to find all this stuff straight to cannibal ferox not even cannibal holocaust okay (laughs) i'm digging deep connoisseur Um, (laughs) we felt i think very much like adults because you know, a lot of kids were still very part of this, this system of school athletics and, and they're very much part of the school system. And I feel like myself and my group of friends were a little more removed from it. The stuff that we were doing, we were doing based purely on, on outside interests that didn't reflect what we were doing day to day in school. Right. These, this group of friends that you found, were they in your local area or were they at this other larger metropolitan area uh, you know, a little bit of both there were a couple of guys that i grew up with that i think because i was always around the stuff they sort of got inundated with it and i think that they 
became secondhand fans and mm. grew an appreciation for this stuff. And I think they also sort of like this idea that, you know, what other people were getting together for study groups, you know, we were literally getting together and watching the, the, the video dad and stuff on Friday nights and, you know, ordering pizzas and, you know, sometimes like doing the tabletop gaming stuff. So I, I think that they saw it as, as an escape from high school too, where they weren't mm. constantly having to focus on where they were at and what they were doing. Yeah. I, I could see that studying is not something that you want to do on a, a Friday night. That's for sure. Uh, and you may also not want to hang out with some of the uh, other people that, aren't into some of the same things that you are, you know? Yeah. Not necessarily social outcasts, but like you're saying, like the competition thing kind of turned you off. There are certain things that other people get into that you're just like, uh, I'm not into that. Yeah. And it always seemed like it was like interest or hobbies through necessity. You know, you were in this because it was a, a part of the bigger program and involving school and then eventually college. And it was like, now I think I can, juggle doing the school thing and, and and luckily i never really had a problem with grades so that was something that kept me very heavily involved in my interest because there was no real pushback you know it wasn't a thing where you know my parents were coming to me and going you know your grades are failing my, my grades were always you know fairly good you know so there wasn't a lot that they could come at me with that was like you know what you're doing is not working like no it's it's i'm, I'm juggling and i'm doing okay right it's like, uh, you know, there's alcoholism and then there's the, the term of being a functional alcoholic. <laughs> right. You're, you, you were a functional horror fan. <laughs> I was, I was, I, you know, I was able to get up. Some people didn't even know it. You know, I took lunch at the same time. Yeah, they're definitely a functional horror. <laughs> <laughs> I like the way there's some people didn't even know it again. Cause like functional alcoholic. We, we didn't even know. <laughs> no clue. You know, I mean, yeah. we passed out gym class a couple of times, but you know. We just thought it would be awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, let's see. So, uh, gore, extreme, pushing boundaries, uh, going on a quest. Also, the typical. Well, the going on a quest thing is typical for teenage years. Uh, yeah. You know, it's just this. This is the direction you chose to go in. Was there anything other than the the gore or the extremities that? stood out to you in this media that you mentioned, you mentioned faces of death, cannibal Ferox, dead alive. I, I started to look at the way movies were made. Um, again, like I went through mm -hmm. a period when I was younger where, um, watching something like, uh, you know, the Sinbad movies and the Ray Harry stuff. I was looking at stop motion. I was fascinated by all these little models and maquettes and how it, it, it worked with live action stuff when I was a child. And then there went, there was a period where, you know, I was very much a teenager and was looking for the gross stuff and wasn't really thinking about how it was done. It was just this visual experience, you know? And then I think I started to get back into this idea of, of filmmaking where I would start to seek out uh, a certain director. Like if I saw one film that I really enjoyed and there was something, some kind of visual flair or pacing or something that I found that was exemplary, I would then try to seek out every movie from that same director. So I started to get back into the idea of what was it about this that sort of got me excited about it. And then because I was doing that, I would end up watching a lot of movies that were non horror related because I was just watching a director's films. And I think that helped me get more of an appreciation for, for film in general, because I had never been interested in, 
dramas or you know anything like that until i started to really focus on sort of the director's vision and then i was watching a lot of stuff that that fell outside of the genre and then it ruined films for you forever because you notice these things every single time oh yeah yeah i mean (laughs) and then there's that period where you have to take a step back and go okay how, how do i get back into watching movies like not Right. movies or yep. dissecting movies turn the brain off yeah luckily that's come easy for me now like the mm. older i get the easier it is for me to put on a movie and enjoy it there was a period where it was very difficult but now i'm more of a movie lover you know back to where i used to be when i was younger mm. the networking thing that you mentioned is also very common what i mean by networking is like seeking out other directors work and and building this sort of profile of uh connections mentally for me i did that with music when i was in my uh, teenage years or early teens was when hip-hop came out and early hip-hop one of the coolest things about it to me was all the different samples that would be used from sometimes vocal samples sometimes it was musical samples and and hearing something and going oh that was used in this other song by this other artist and they did this other song that referenced that other song and you know building those kind of connections and i know chris for example was into music and he would go into you know he's into what label uh, you know what artists were associated with this label and what other music were they doing and yeah uh, i i actually think it's also the same thing you know we often joke about you know women being interested in who's dating who and and all the gossip involved with that and i personally i think that that's a a feminine socially acceptable expression of the same thing just like for guys you know being into sports and and being aware of what players on what team who get traded to who and what their stats are yeah like these are all uh examples of the same sort of dynamic if you will no, it, it, I think as you get older, you, you crack that code a little bit too. You know, like when I talk about being younger and not understanding why people did certain things, um, the competitiveness of sports, et cetera. Um, mm-hmm. But as I started to get older, and I think that my, my group of friends expanded to the point where there was a lot of people that I in, enjoyed having around who didn't have similar interests, but we had a similar sense of humor or they were good people and it was just a joy to be around them, where suddenly mm-hmm. I was like, okay, my my want to collect movie props or posters is very, very similar to trading cards for sports. Um, mm-hmm. My ability to rattle off horror trivia is very similar to like you were saying stats for a particular player. Like I got it more so than I think I ever did and was like, okay, no, this is really the same thing. Right. It's just a different angle. Right. And it also ties in with some of the things that you've said already in, in terms of, uh, like bonding with your mom and uh, forget what the other words that you said, but, you know, basically connecting uh, socially with different groups. Uh, it's just, this was the, the avenue that you chose to, to do that. Yeah, exactly. I mean, but it afforded me the ability as I got older, I think to, 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 to gain friends a little bit easier um, to be in social situations a little bit easier. Like I'm, I'm fairly comfortable at my age where I'm sure there are still a lot of people that, that aren't. So I'm, I'm very grateful for that. Right. Anytime you were terrified of anything in real life as a teen. As I got older, I, I met adults who clearly um, were not good people. Hmm. And being from a small town and having 
very, very small circles of friends and, and acquaintances. I hadn't met a lot of people who clearly had, had, had deep psychological issues and psychological issues that made them want to inflict pain on people. You know, like I wasn't around that that much. And as I got older, especially like as a teen, meeting people were truly just you you knew that they were predators you know in one sense or another you could just feel it there was this sense of i i gotta get out of here but i think some of those first interactions were were terrifying because simulated in a movie especially in horror films it's exciting mm-hmm. in real life it, it's very much not yeah, because you're not disconnected from that layer of this is the movie, this is real life. You are there, it's real life, and it's like, all right, it's, this is, I don't like this. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Very understandable. Uh, again, same follow-up question. Do these things, uh, either the dreams or the real experiences, trigger any fears that have been lasting for you? Or you know, has it affected you in a lasting way? Or is it just something that was for that time only? I, I think it was sort of for that, that time only. I, I went through periods where i i was creative but in a different way than i am now where i went through periods where i was doing a lot of music and writing a lot of music and that was a completely different narrative like that was getting out expressions of you know as a as a musician as expressions of you know frustration for your current situation you know sort of the blue collar blues um Mm -hmm. frustration over relationships not going the way you want them to like it was almost strictly this outpouring of emotion and and i wasn't really writing music as a storytelling you know narrative it was just sort of like translating emotion and when i got out of that um and i wasn't really writing a lot of music anymore and i was getting back into just writing and and just writing as a hobby i started to take a lot of those things that i thought were scary and and try to translate them into a, a narrative you know, something that made more sense than just an isolated situation. And I think that was extremely, extremely cathartic. I learned a lot about my responses to things, why I reacted the way I did to certain things, and how it was either justified or not, and how I could have went about it differently. So when you take a narrative, you know, when you're trying to tell a story and you're going and you're sort of doing this juxtaposition, looking at the idea from so many different angles where it could go or couldn't go, depending on how it's going to reflect the story, you sort of ask yourself those same questions as you ask yourself, how would a character do this? You're asking yourself, how would you do this? Would it be realistic? Yeah. And I think there's a lot of reflection there. And I think it's a lot of, uh, a lot of self-therapy. So I think I, I translated a, a lot of that fear in, into, into story when I got older. Artistic expression is definitely a great way of processing stressful events. Uh, I've done that myself. <laughs> I'm sure we're not alone. Yep. It, it is. It's a, it's a great medium. Well, any medium, I mean, like whether it's, you know, painting or music or writing, it, any, any expression of, you know, like I say, getting it out of you sort of, uh, you know, it's, it's strange how, how cathartic that can be. You know, there are some people who like to work out their, their issues, you know, physically, either exercising or sports or what have you, but, uh, yeah, you know, sitting down and and writing it out or, you know, spelling it out in, in other mediums, uh, can be helpful as well. And the hourly rates a lot cheaper. 
Yes. <laughs> this yeah, is true. Compared is to true. therapy, yes. Right. Yeah. Or and if you're lucky, you can get paid to do it. <laughs> <laughs> that too, yes. <laughs> yeah. Let's jump into some of the adult years. So now as an adult, uh, what would you say are some of the big media that have impacted you in, in your adult life? This is, that's an interesting question. <laughs> I don't know how easy that question really it, it is for me because I'm, I'm to that point where I'm, I'm, I'm making a lot more stuff than I probably ever did. Like I'm creating a lot more stuff and I'm working through the idea of creative process differently than when I was younger. Mm. So I, I think the stuff now that really sort of impacts me um, works on so many different levels. I love the ability to watch something and turn my brain off and, and mm-hmm. love it for what it is. And I'm very thankful that I can do that now. And then again, I love something that to, that to me is extremely um, provocative. Uh, just for instance, I, I really, really enjoyed Midnight Mass, the limited series on Netflix. Mm-hmm. Was Midnight Mass the one with the angel or the, the oops, sorry, spoilers. <laughs> the entity yeah yeah sure. yeah yeah the the winged entity which may or may not have been an angel yeah and that's um you know that's a, a mike flanagan series and mm-hmm. i i tend to like a lot of what that guy does and and i think one of the reasons i do enjoy his work so much is because it, especially in midnight mass there were periods of prolonged conversation with characters which I mean, let's face it, we don't really get that in feature film that much. You know, if if we do, it's usually a drama. We don't get it in genre filmmaking that much. But because we're in an age now where we've got a million series that are upwards of 11, 12 hours long, we're afforded more of that character interaction. And there were there were some episodes of that where, you know, aside from the ongoing story that they were telling, it was just sort of a, a beautiful reflection on people getting together and exploring their own mortality, their own humanity. Like I was really impressed by my emotional response mm-hmm. to a genre series like that, that was able to take a moment and, and say, you know, this is going to be a very character centric episode. We can push that story further later. But right now, we're going to give you a a real understanding of who these characters are. And I think that sort of changed what I was looking for with a lot of genre stuff. I'm like, wow, that's an element that I I really appreciate that we don't get to see that much. Mm -hmm. Anything other than Midnight Mass come to mind? Well, I do like a a lot of the, um, like like a Haunting of Bly Manor and Hill House, the Mike Flanagan stuff. He did a great job with Dr. Sleep. Oh, yeah. And I love Dr. Sleep, too. Like, uh, I just think that the guy has a, a really, really good knack for, for giving us characters that we can relate to and, and, and having that really impact our overall reflections on the movie itself. I've seen stuff that I really, really like over the last few years. Stuff, again, that, like I said earlier, sort of revitalizes my interest in the genre. There was um, an, an Irish film. I think it was called A Simple Song. That was. Uh, oh wait, was it a dark song? The one about summoning? Oh yes, uh, a dark song. So good. That a lot I, of people well, didn't like that in the end because the payoff was just like, oh, it's just again. Sorry, everyone. Spoilers, but oh, it's just a giant guy. But no, that's historically accurate for what angels were descri- described as. 
and, and just I mean, that, I, good. No, continue. I mean, it was it was great. I I I thought it it gave me everything that I wanted out of that movie. Yeah, yeah. It was the the tension between the the woman who came to the man and and him and just how everything wasn't spelled out, you know, and how it was implied that it was very serious, but you still don't know what's going on. It it kept me intrigued. And I think typically when we look at something like like ritualistic magic, I mean, you know, there's so many religious texts that talk about just how intense some of these rituals are and, and, and rituals that have nothing to do with magic, but are just religious in nature. Mm-hmm. I don't think we've seen a movie that really depicted it that way. I mean, we're, we're used to like the Dr. Strange approach where you just throw a bunch of gang signs and then, a, you know, a <laughs> like some Naruto fucking hand signals. Yeah. Right. No, but you're right. They, they went much more in depth with it. It was preparing. It was fasting. It was uh, fasting sexually, emotionally and energy. It was. Yeah. They, they went into a lot more depth with that. Yeah. That, that really fascinated me. Yeah. So as an adult participate in Halloween, uh, now, from a sort of different standpoint, because I have kids, so mm-hmm. it's that sort of you know living vicariously through them. Where yeah. I love their enthusiasm; that's still there. I I still dress up with them, like I still enjoy mm-hmm. you know doing that. But it's I guess it's also more for them than for myself at this point. Uh, anything you've actually been terrified in real life as an adult? I I think the world right now sort of terrifies me. <laughs> <laughs> right, that's uh, also not an uncommon answer. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I I think this idea of like I don't. It, it seems like we're on the precipice to just you know running around and like old dusty Dodge Daytona shooting each other for gas. It's just weird. Mad Max. Yeah, yeah. it's very like pre-apocalyptic. It just feels like we're dangling and we don't really know yeah. what side we're going to land on is it going to be that we're going to get better or is that it's just going to get infinitely worse and and sometimes i feel like maybe socially we don't have the capacity to get better again and that scares me that we're too far we're too far gone and that there are some people who are looking forward to it yeah the the idea that there are people out there that are you know you know rubbing their hands like mr burns that this is making <laughs> money and you know this is all part of a bigger oh not even about making the money of just like looking forward to the excitement like yeah. bring it on like I, you don't understand <laughs> like something something rhymes with you halu <laughs> yeah it's it, it it's it's scary in that sense too that there that there are people that that think that that that's when they're going to have power you know mm-hmm. it's strange yeah. like yeah, think, or or not even that. Like, I think there are people who understand that there's a very good chance that they're personally going to die, but the people that they want to be in control will get to be in control. Like they they're giving something up for their society. Yeah, yeah. It's it's just very strange. It's 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 a time where I shake my head a lot, and I wish that things would get better for you know the the future generation because. They deserve it. They sort of deserve us to not keep fucking things up all the time and give them a world where they've got opportunity to make it even better because we're open to it. But I just, uh, I, I, I do a lot of, of well wishing because it seems like that's all I'm capable of doing. now. Yeah. Yeah. I don't have a lot to say about that. Cause that's a whole conversation. <laughs> yeah. That is a whole other <laughs> podcast. 
Yeah. Let's uh, let's jump to some of the wrap up questions here. There's still probably about maybe ten questions, but these cover more of your life overall uh, and don't necessarily relate to horror. Uh, the first two questions I'm going to ask, I'm going to give them to you at the same time because it could be the same answer for both, or it could be different answers. But if we were to ask, what is your favorite movie, and then what what movie have you watched more times than any other? A, a movie that I could watch ad nauseum um, is and this is sort of a weird one, but uh, I, I absolutely love uh, Fritz Lang's Metropolis. I, I mm, just, okay. every time I think I watch that, I find something new in it or, or I'm perpetually fascinated by what they did when they did it. Like that movie just mm. captures my imagination. I think it's at its heart, a movie that transcends time. It, it always has uh, like a social value to it. And I just, it just feels huge for a movie, you know, that was made when we were still using color templates and, you know, mm-hmm. on-screen dialogue. Like it still feels enormous to me. It feels huge and, and towering. And I love that feeling when I watch it. So is that one, the one that you would say is your favorite or the one that you've watched more times than any other? I, I would say it, it's probably my, my favorite, but like I, I watch bad movies over and over again. Um, <laughs> movies that like by all rights, I'm like, why have I watched Hudson Hawk? Like a million times? <laughs> why do I keep that? On? Um, uh, now I'm going to have swing on a star stuck in my head again. Thank you. Oh, Thank yeah. You. <laughs> yeah. Try to get that, that Danny Aiello classic out of your noggin. And, and then I, I would say like rewatchable. I, I can watch jaws from beginning to end ad nauseum and and never get tired of it like it's that one film if it's on tv let me put like this a, on let me put this a different way instead of uh saying what which one could you watch more times than any other i'm saying which one do you think you have have you watched more times than any other oh geez evil dead too <laughs> nice okay, that was an easy answer it's just like a happy place movie like it, it's so goofy and yet mm-hmm. it's got all those horror elements that especially when I was younger that I just dug it's got, it went so many like really brave places for a low budget movie that I like every time I put evil did two on, I'm, I'm still enjoying it. Yeah. What do you mean by brave? I, I think they, they did a lot of stuff that they didn't need to, or, or maybe shouldn't have with their budget. I mean, we've got some interesting stop motion animation there that could have easily been done easier you know, it's it's like they chose to do it because they had a vision for it. They go, this, this is the way it's supposed to look. So they did that instead of like, if I were to do that film, I wouldn't obviously be able to do it any better, but I would make decisions that hid the limitations more than they did. So I think the fact that they went for everything with like extreme gusto to me is, is always impressive. It's always impressive that they were like, no, like they've got clouds that, you know, dissolve in his eyes and we see it. It's like, wow, they just, everything they thought of, they sort of just did like that. Yeah. I, I admire that. Do you see any common threads about what kind of horror you like? Cannibalism, occult, metaphysical. It's weird because I, I sort of hit extremes where I like movies that have a lot of forward thrust and momentum. And then I like a lot of like, slow burn sort of films i i used to be really fond of like creature features because i used to love to see the practical effects that was involved and i can look back and go wow i love the transformation scene uh, of course of american world from london but i also love you know the bladder work done in um the howling 
Like I love that transformation scene. I still find the transformation scene actually in the high in the howling scarier than American Werewolf because there's that the point where this this poor woman is watching the entire transformation happen in front of her, and it's like as as a character, she's sitting there realizing she's going to die, and she's like mutually disgusted and fascinated by what's in front of her. But it's like a captive audience kind of thing. That scene always affected me where it's like, yeah, you're just sitting there waiting for the moment. He's more animal than man. And then that's when it's, it's going to kill you. But to watch it, to have to sort of sit there and watch it take place is it would just be excruciating. It's interesting that there's this dichotomy between, as you put it, the extreme forward thrust, but also slow burns. I mean, ex- ex- those are both extremes in different ways but they are very different in terms of what, you know, the actual content yeah. being, you know, very fast or very slow extremes, not, uh, not the boring middle ground. And I, well, I think that, you know, it's interesting. You'd say boring middle ground, because I, I think that that to me is like the worst defense of a movie is, is if I just don't think about it at all. Um, like yeah. in, in that context, I think I'd rather watch a movie like St. Maud that I become very opinionated about it opinionated about then mm-hmm. watch a movie where the following day it's just gone you know even though i like right. the idea yeah. of disposable media you know you can watch it and it serves its purpose for an hour right. and a half and then you move on but to me that's sort of pornography you know it's like i've got this very <laughs> you know very selected you know thing that i need to do and i'm going to watch it and then sort of move on from it but the stuff that sticks with you again even if it sticks with you and a negative light sort of makes more sense for me to watch it, I guess. Yeah, no, you're right. I think no, that's, that that's like a creator's force nightmare is uh, your work being unforgettable. You know, whether it's liked or disliked, if it's just not regarded, that's that's probably the worst case scenario as a creator. Yeah, I would hate to make something and have somebody ask about it and you tell them the entire story up to the ending and then they go, oh, yeah, I saw that. And you're like, oh, shit. Like, no. I spent the <laughs> running time of my movie talking about my movie. And then they finally remembered they saw it. Oh, no. <laughs> That's a bit of a nightmare. There you go. There's a waking nightmare. Yeah. Yeah. You're doing or, or rather that they say that. And then the conversation stops there. Like <laughs> it, the fact that they don't want to continue discussing it, that that's the problem. <laughs> right. Or then they just look around errantly for someone that they might know. <laughs> yeah. Look at their watch. <laughs> what other conversation can I get into? And they just, try to find something else yeah, going yeah. on around them. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So before I ask the last couple questions, just a sort of summary of the things that I've been hearing in, in the call coming up multiple times are, you know, bonding, networking, emotional, social connections. Those, those seem to be really important to you. There was one, something else that I heard. Uh, oh, power, loss of control. The thing that you mentioned with the dreams of, you know, you the parental fears about your kid uh, also is kind of similar in the loss of power sense of the nuclear fallout dreams, uh, you know, being utter loss of control there. So mm-hmm. that's sort of like a, a secondary thing that I've heard. So I, I would guess, do you have any idea why those things are important to you? And again, primarily, it sounds like the the social bonding part of it is is what seemed most important to you and if you think that that's a a, a, a 
a not a good assessment and that there's something else about horror that speaks to you more. Correct me. No, I, I, I think that you, you definitely, you know, struck a chord there. And I, and I think one that's pretty consistent in, you know, the way I've attached myself to the genre. And I think a lot of it is like my own personal journey of being in places where I felt completely powerless, like I had no control and then working through so much of my life to, to, to gain enough where I felt comfort. And I think to have that immediately taken away probably is very scary for me to think that I worked so hard to become a person that I could live with and, and that I could, you know, put out there and have others see and be comfortable with my image. And then to have that sort of not matter at all, you know, to have that be just something that's um, not a factor and, and realize that, okay, this, this, this mattered and it mattered in this context, but in so many situations, it doesn't. That's probably why initially when I met people that I, I immediately knew it doesn't matter what I say. It doesn't matter what I do. Like this, this person has, you know, troubles and issues and, you know, they just want to hurt. They just want to hurt. They just want to maim. They just want to kill. Like when you're faced with that, all of who you are, it, it boils down to something much more primal that you have no control over. Yeah. Let me try to re- rephrase it in my own words to see if I'm I'm following you. So it's like you're saying, okay, I've spent all this time struggling, working, and find a place for myself within these rules, and now I'm meeting somebody who doesn't follow these rules. Exactly. Yeah. Is that a good way of? No, I think that that's okay. that's a perfect like summation. I, I think. And that's something that I think a lot of people are, are, are terrified of, you know, it's, it's that terror of I've studied four hours for my history quiz and the quiz was in math. Mm. You know, it's that, wow, I've worked so hard on, on being comfortable in my element. And now I'm thrust into something that I don't have a basic framework for like that to me is scary. All right. So, we were talking about uh, struggling to align with social rules and then meeting people who don't care about the rules. And then one of the last questions here that we like to ask is, okay, so now that we've narrowed in on that, why horror? Is there something, or is there something about horror that keeps bringing you back to this genre? Yeah. I, I think a lot of people use the comparison to, you know, like a thrill ride, a roller coaster, amusement park kind of thing. And I, I think that it's used so often because it, it really is in its simplicity a pretty good answer is that you're, you're putting yourself through these extremes with a fairly high degree of safety. You know, you can ride a roller coaster five times and, and you know, reality begs that the, the fifth time you're taking your chances, but more than likely all five times it's going to go off without a hitch. But mm-hmm. the idea of being, you know, in a cart that is sort of, you know, a runaway card at breakneck speed. You have no control of it. All you have to do is surrender yourself to this reckless abandon of, of riding the ride from beginning to end is, is pretty terrifying. It's that complete lack of control. And I think, again, to go back to this idea of having a world that you've had a lot of participation in, you know, in either building yourself or, you know, building elements around it and then being thrust into a situation you have absolutely no power over the rules of com- changed horror does that a lot you know the 
the family that's on vacation, the couple that's on a date. These are fairly mundane situations where all of a sudden the rules change completely. Mm-hmm. I think there is a bit of a thrill being able to experience that vicariously through our characters, but realizing that we're doing it with a very high degree of safety. I like something that you said earlier. Uh, basically, you know, giving up control to someone who will scare me, but keep me safe. We had talked earlier about, you know, how the the primary thing was the social, uh, you know, bonding element. And then the secondary thing was, you know, loss of power and control. And so it's interesting that we're coming back to this, like I say, this concept of giving up control willingly to someone who's going to scare you, but keep you safe. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I, I think that we we do that on a lot of different levels in, in very common relationship scenarios. You know, we're doing that our entire life when we gain a new friendship. You know, we're allowing a person to know more about ourselves, which is frightening. But, you, you know, we're, we're doing it again if we, what we think is a, a decent, you know, degree of safety. And especially when we get into relationships where things like love or intimacy is concerned, it's that same we're really consent. not comfortable yeah with what's happening but we're giving consent because you know ultimately there's something here that we're craving hmm, hmm. consent itself could be its own topic <laughs> yes or <laughs> some reason why that's important to you yeah but most certainly but but i i think that you know for me it's it's strange in in a sense i grew up in um and most of my relationships were with females um, I had a very strong relationship with my mother, but practically none with my father. Um, I had a sister, but at that time, no brothers. I had a lot of male peers who I was friends with, but when it came to, you know, in-depth one-on-one conversation, I almost always chose a female for that. Mm. And, you know, then you get into an industry where a lot of females are getting hacked up by guys in hockey mats. You know, I mean, it's, they're also hacking up males, you know, a- as well. Mm. But I think there's this whole idea of there's there's a lot that just doesn't fit in socially with horror films. You know, that's part of what it is, is saying, hey, we're breaking all of our rules here. You can come and experience all this rule breaking with us. But when you leave the theater, you get to be the same person. Craziness with consent. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. It's a great way to put it. Good name for it. Could be a, I was just going to say, that's a good tagline. <laughs> I was going to say that's a good title for a book. I like that too. Yeah. Well, really last question. Is there anything that you could think of or that you have thought of during this call that might be relevant that hasn't come up? I I think when I have conversations about horror, the, the, the thing that I walk away with is that I end up talking a lot more about the psychology of it sometimes. than I end up Mm -hmm. talking about like, I love the practical effects. I, you know, I, I love the, the BTS stuff where we get to see how, you know, the world transformation was done when we see all these, you know, sort of vignettes with Rick Baker and all those guys from the eighties. Like I really do love the, the rock star mentality that effects artists had like in the eighties and nineties. And I think I missed that quite a bit because it, it just showed this fantastic enthusiasm. And I think that's something that I don't talk about a lot. So as I'm talking about the stuff that sort of hits me on an emotional level, I also want to say, wow, I, I sort of missed the eighties and I sort of missed this rock star mentality that we had. And we looked at these effects guys and these directors and it was, 
I think very different than it is now. Yeah, that is true. But the other thing that I was thinking while you're talking about this, I was still focusing on that phrase of craziness with consent and realize that there's sort of a connection there with what you said when you were a kid and watching these movies with your mom of, uh, you know, the consent of being able to be allowed to stay up late for these movies. Um, there, there's some relation there too of that kind of could be described as craziness with consent too. Yeah, I, I think so. Definitely. I, I think probably compared to other parents, you know, they would say that there was a fair amount of, of craziness in there, you know, at my age and, you know, allowing me to see certain things that I don't think a lot of kids were allowed to at that age. So no, I, I, I think that that's definitely applicable. Yeah. Yes. And also having the mentality to like, maybe you didn't understand the consent at that age, but it was happening, whether you could describe it vocabulary with your vocabulary or not. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I was seeing it as an opportunity to spend more time with an adult in their setting, you know, mm -hmm. late at night watching something I, I wouldn't regularly get to watch. So it was sort of being able to, to tread this territory that I wasn't allowed access to that much. And, mm -hmm. and there was excitement in that, you know, it, it, again, it felt like I was being allowed to, to be older in that moment. You know, I was mm -hmm. taken a little more seriously, even though I was a kid, I was, I felt crossing like, a boundary. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's a little bit of that forbidden fruit, but again, with that high degree of safety and you know, I'm with my mom, you know, she allegedly knows what's good for me and, and <laughs> allegedly, yes. you know, some suspicions <laughs> arose, but, um, yeah. you know, for the most part, yeah, that was, that was it. Like, Hey, I can, I can enjoy this. It's maybe not something that, you know, every parent would allow, but this is my parent that, that cares for me and won't let anything bad happen. Right. Cool. Well, I, I'm sure Chris has as well, but at least speaking for myself, I very much uh, enjoyed this call. Yeah. Good one. Me too. Thank you so much. I, I, I've had a great time. Before I hit the closing, do you want to again, pitch what uh, you're currently working on? Yeah. So um, uh, depending where we're at in the timeline, um, November 1st, my, uh, this is my first full-length feature film that I wrote and directed. I've produced a couple of feature films in the past, uh, a horror comedy called Camp Death 3 in 2D that uh, if you do seek out, I'll both commend and apologize for at the same time. <laughs> um, yeah. I've done some some short films, but this was my first attempt at a, uh, a full-length feature film, and uh, we've been very uh very blessed at, at this point with the film we've been an official selection now at more than 30 festivals worldwide nice nice uh won 23 awards that include best feature um best horror film uh best director uh best editing we've been very fortunate in that cool yeah we've we've been to a lot of places we've been able to show a lot of people the film and we've had some fantastic feedback on it uh, i think on imdb right now we're at a 9.1 um we've got some really really positive reviews and november 1st it comes out um exclusively amazon and voodoo until its tvod release on december 6th which includes dish network uh the comcast network so a lot of those set top box cable boxes as well as apple tv 
and a bunch of other um, VOD services. And then I think in February, we'll probably be on, on most streaming channels than streaming wide. Okay. Well, if uh, listeners want more information about that, we will be putting together a bio page for you and we can link to anything that you'd like to. And I'm sure they can also visit the HorrorFix website directly, which we can link to from our, our bio page as well. No, certainly. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. And thank you anybody out there listening. Uh, again, please do come visit us at horrormakesushappy.com. Uh, we've got a list of people there that we'd like to talk to. If you can get us in touch with any of those people, let us know. If you would like us to add somebody to the list, let us know. Uh, we are still in growth mode. So as we've said before, uh, just tell a friend. If you like what we're doing, let somebody know. Thanks. Thanks.